for folks out there thinking about 5G today, it's, it's worth remembering. All of these companies that are out there working on 5G today, you know what else they're working on? And I'm already seeing this in their calls. They're already developing their 6G strategy. So, for folks who think that 5G is the finish line, that's not it at all. 5G is just one more step in the journey. I'm Chris Hill, and that was Motley Fool Senior Analyst Jason Moser. Faster speeds and more capacity are just two of the ways to think about 5G technology. Today, Jason goes deep on 5G with his longtime co-host from the Industry Focus podcast, Matt Frankel. They discuss the fundamentals of 5G, allocation strategy for investors, and the ripple effects on everything from towers and banking to smart coffee mugs. It's great to see you again. You know, I mean, we may not be doing Monday financials every week, but the neat thing about this new format, and I hope listeners are enjoying this too, is it sort of broadens our playing field. We get to dig into more stuff, and I think that's that's really a lot of fun because we get to learn more from each other. And and I think this week is a another great example of that because we're talking about 5G this week, right? I think that's a big buzzword. A lot of folks have heard in, in certainly the financial media and just the regular media over, over the last year. 5G has I think there's a lot of anticipation out there. What we wanted to do today is we want to step back a little bit, talk about 5G, sort of try to simplify what exactly 5G is, and then ultimately dig into why it matters for investors. Let's let's just get this out of the way first and foremost. Like what 5G? Let's explain 5G from a high level. What how would you define 5G? What does 5G mean to you? Yeah, so it's difficult to define 5G in a simple way. A lot of people don't have the simple definition. When we were researching for this, I did I read three different definitions of 5G and each one was more than 10 pages long. <laughs> um, a lot of investors need the simplified version of it. So basically 4G technology is the last version, as you probably know, that was designed to maximize mobile networks for in, in simple terms. 5G takes it a step beyond. 5G is meant to maximize connectivity capabilities. Think of how many more internet-connected devices you have in your house than you did just, say, five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking around in my office, and I have a printer, a vacuum cleaner, a, a heart monitor that, that I wear in the gym, like, you know, 10 different things in my office that are all connected to the internet. Matt, I got a Traeger grill for Christmas this past year. That thing is connected to my phone. I'm managing that thing from all over the place. It, I, you want to talk about internet of things, like the fact that my grill is connected, I, I'm all in. Right. I, mean, I got this coffee cup <laughs> that's connected to the internet that controls the temperature Whoa, of my drink. That tops the grill. <laughs> um, my, my wife got me that. And uh, just, you know, side note, I like my coffee at 134 degrees exactly. That's my, my sweet spot. And I can control wow. that through, through, my, through an app. Wow. Um, but but so things like that are really why we need 5G technology. So I mentioned that 4G was meant to maximize mobile networks. 5G takes it a step beyond. The biggest misconception is that all the whole point of 5G is to make things faster. That's certainly a part of it. But there are two other things that people need to know as well. 5G is meant to be able to connect more devices, which is a big problem these days. A lot of the existing infrastructure just simply can't handle the number of devices that need to connect. Yeah, and two to reduce latency, meaning kind of lag time when when you're trying to access a network, which as we'll get through some of the applications, is very important. Just to name one, um, I mean, virtual reality—you can't have a delay. 
um, yeah. when, you, when you're using a virtual reality application. So there are a lot of benefits to 5G over 4G that, that investors need to really realize that go beyond speed, because that's definitely part of it. But it's also designed to, you know, a hundred times increase in traffic capacity, meaning and and a lot more devices. So there, there's a lot more to it than just speed. Yeah, I like that. And, and you're right. I mean, we could dig down into the, the nitty gritty there and talk about sub three gigahertz used in 4G and the 100 gigahertz and beyond for 5G. All of the it, the, the beauty of 5G, it, it it puts to use a wider spectrum of bandwidth. And ultimately, to your point, I think the simplest definition, right? That Peter Lynch write it out with a crayon. Greater speeds, more capacity, and and that really ultimately is what it's for. And it's because of all of those reasons you just really described right there. We're just becoming more and more connected, um, which which I think hopefully uh, ultimately is a good thing. But but it 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 also presents its fair share of challenges. Something I was thinking about, uh, I think I think about often because I get the question a lot is in regard to five G. And when I talk about five G, and some some people feel like they either missed it already or they haven't noticed it. They feel like maybe 5G hasn't really impacted them. Uh, and others feel like, well, 5G should be just like flipping a switch and everything should magically just improve, right? I, I blame I, I feel like you know that that that's sort of expectations, I think. Uh, I, I think that when you when you look at, at the media outlets, just general kind of expectations that have been created for 5G, that probably has something to do with it. I think consumers have been conditioned to feel like, okay, 5G is here, flip the switch, now everything is gonna be so much faster. That's not really the way this works. And a lot of that boils down to building out networks like these. It it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time, and it's a lot of work. I mean, even even when we have all of all of this established in four G, for example, I mean, making that leap from four G LTE up to five G, it's it's requiring a lot of work uh, that that folks don't see, which makes it really. It's not like it's not like flipping a switch. It feels like it's it's more incremental that we'll realize over time. Yeah, what the best way I heard it described is that there's a difference between five G technology. And the 5G experience, right? The 5G technology is here now. That's already starting to be rolled out in cities. They're, uh, like you mentioned, companies are building out their networks, things like that. But until one, we're we're operating on the right the right bands, which we, I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But until like the the networks are built out to the point where they need to be, you're not going to get the 5G experience where things are flowing a hundred times faster and. So 5G is is built to handle 20 gigabits per second uh, data speeds, which is you know that's fast. That's that's better than any internet I could get in my house. Yeah, but we're not there now. That's the 5G experience. Uh, the Qualcomm study. This is from Qualcomm, which is you know one of the leaders in 5G technology. Um, they did a study that says that the the 5G experience won't be rolled out across the globe completely until the mid 2030s. Yeah. So another minimum minimum thirteen years or so. They said twenty thirty five. So it's going to take a long time. It'll probably happen a little quicker in the United States. That's globally, so including emerging markets. But until the the, the networks are built out, they use something called small cell technology, which means in in simple terms, more access points closer together, smaller access points, not just the big cell towers you see driving down the road. These are things you could see a small cell attached to the side of a building or on a billboard. Um, one of the billboard company I follow, Outfront Media, uh, rents space on their billboards to, to 
for small cell purposes. So it's it's a slow rollout. It's not just flipping a switch. The technology is like flipping a switch, like incorporating the technology. I mean, all the major carriers now have 5G phones, yeah. um, for example, which are significantly faster than 4G networks, but not 100 times faster or anything close to that. Um, so the technology is here. The experience is not. Yeah, and I, I like that you use that word experience because I think you're right. I, I think that makes perfect sense. I think that describes it very well. And let's talk a little bit more now about the experience because when you when you think of 5G and in in the way I, I like to view 5G, just sort of from a sort of a mental picture, right? I mean, I, I like I like thinking about space. I don't know. I'm just to me, it's fascinating. And and so I always I always think about five G. Five G is the sun, right? And then you have all of these opportunities, all of these planets that are orbiting around that five G sun that represent all of the opportunities that five G is going to help power. Right, and so you get things like artificial intelligence. You get things like Internet of Things or IoT, like we were talking about. Immersive technology, virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, connected vehicles, gaming, entertainment. I mean, there are so many opportunities for that experience. In, in no, it's it's not going to be like flipping a switch. I mean, we're going to see over time incremental improvements in a lot of those a lot of those types of experiences, but they will they will come. And, and furthermore, I think it's also worth remembering too. For for folks out there thinking about five G today, it's it's worth remembering all of these companies that are out there working on five G today. You know what else they're working on? And I'm already seeing this in their calls. They're already developing their six G strategy. So for folks who think that five G is the finish line, that's not it at all. Five G is just one more step in the journey, right? I mean, there's going to be six G, there's going to be seven G. It's going to keep on going as long as as long as the the tech allows us. Uh, so so I think that's something. To look forward to, but but also given the timeline that you offered there, it's worth remembering. I mean, this is something that is going to play out over decades, over the rest of our lives. Um, and, and as an as an investor, I I feel very encouraged. I feel like this is just going to continue opening up opportunities for investors to participate not only on the technology side but the experience side, as you said. Uh, so so let's dig into a little bit of both here, the tech and the experience. Let's talk first about the technology because I think that's really where this all begins, right? You mentioned small. Small cells and uh, tower companies. So, so let's let's talk. We can talk about these in tandem, I think. But you've got the tower companies and the network operators that are really enabling all this, right? Yeah. So there are two big tower companies. There's American Tower and Crown Castle. Um, ticker symbols are AMT and CCI. They're both real estate investment trusts. And I always say that they should switch names because American Tower <laughs> is the global company, and Crown Castle is American. They're they're only in the U.S. You know, um, I always thought about that. <laughs> I say that they, should, they should switch names. They should just sell each other their own brand names. <laughs> um, but so these are the companies building out these networks. They've both specifically called out small cell um, deployments as their big growth area over the next few years. I personally like Crown Castle because it's going to be a, a quicker rollout. I mentioned the twenty thirty five figure is kind of worldwide. Yeah. Uh, so I think of American Tower because they have a lot of emerging markets and things like that in their portfolio. I kind of think that's going to be the long-tailed 5G play, but it, it's both of them are good. They're not going to go wrong with either one. They're both massive companies. They both make money no matter what the market's doing. Um, they're they're not very recession um, susceptible like a lot of the companies we talk about are going to be. Yeah, um, a lot of the other 5G beneficiaries are going to be cyclical businesses, um, but the tower companies are they're they're essential. 
I can't think of a business that's much more essential these days than than data infrastructure. Well, and and they also play a big role in that small cell strategy that you that you mentioned before. And, and I think for folks to be able to sort of picture this in your mind, small cells. I mean, we're talking about things that are essentially they they can be the size of a pizza box, right? I mean, these are these are these are constellations of of small cells, particularly in heavy dense urban environments. But you know, you talk about small cells. I think great great for stadium experiences, right? You go to a you go to a, a football game, an NFL game, or a college game, or you go to an NBA game, or you see more and more of these stadiums. Building out that small cell technology to enable more of that 5G experience inside the stadium, inside uh, the arena, so to speak. So, it, it, you know, Crown Castle, I agree with you. I, th- I think I've recommended Crown. I mean, I know I've recommended Crown Castle over American Tower, but I think I've recommended it over over American Tower for um, a, a number of reasons. Some of which you just mentioned, but also the Crown Castle uh, has been has been a little bit more enthusiastic in pursuing that small cell uh, strategy early on, which I think is making a difference for them. Yeah, they've been the better capital deployer over the last few years. I think uh, by far out of the two. Um, yeah, and and like I said, I like the U.S. rollout. Um, I, they're, they're a great dividend stock. Um, they have a good track record of raising the payout. So they're they're a great combination of income growth and safety, which I've often said is kind of the trifecta that I look for. Well, speaking of income, income growth and safety, then uh, what what do you think of the operators, the network operators themselves? I think a lot of folks they think five G, they immediately think, oh well, that's you're investing in AT and T, Verizon, T Mobile, and and yes, I mean those are the companies responsible ultimately for connecting us, but they there's a specific investment thesis involved with these types of businesses, right? I mean this this isn't five G isn't something that is going to Cause these stocks to to double over the course of the next five years. I wouldn't imagine. No, and I know that firsthand. AT and T is one of the biggest positions in my portfolio, and it's been one of the worst performers in my portfolio as long as I've owned it. I, I've often brought up the story that in 2013, to pay for my wedding, I had a choice to sell my Tesla stock or AT and T, and I picked the wrong one. Oh, <laughs> but oh, I, I learned a valuable Matt. lesson, so I'm not bitter about yes, it. Yes, you did. Well, as long as you learned something from it, that's. But AT and T has been a, a poor performer. I mean, they've been made questionable management choices. But the point is, they're a slow, steady growth name. If you buy AT and T, Verizon, T-Mobile, even, you're expecting to get a you know five five ish percent dividend yield. You expect the stock to go up two or three percent a year over the long term, and you expect it to make money no matter what the economy is doing. They are not growth plays. They are income safety plays. Period. The end. Um, and, and when they try to branch out to other growth areas, like AT and T did with with Warner and Directv and things like that, we see what happened. Yeah. So these are, if you buy them, buy them because they are like buying a utility. Essentially, people pay their phone bills and internet bills like they pay their electric bills and and water bills. It's guaranteed income, but it's not a growth story, even with 5G. 5G is an essential expense for these businesses, not a growth expense. Yeah, and they are investing a lot. I mean, if you look over the past year plus, I mean, you see these uh, these auctions for all of the spectrum, and I mean, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars that these companies collectively are bidding for the spectrum. I mean, it requires a lot of investment up front. But to your point, they are utilities, uh, which means that in in certain instances, they can be very good investments. And I'm sure, as a certified financial planner, you run into this question often: uh, folks who are either either in the grow their wealth state 
stage of life or the protect their wealth stage of life. And it, maybe an, an AT&T or a Verizon isn't necessarily attractive to someone who is in that grow your wealth stage. But if you're in the protect your wealth stage, right, you're closer to retirement or in retirement. I mean, those are relatively stable businesses, pretty good capital preservation. And, and I, I don't know, I just don't feel like those dividends are really under threat at all. No, I mean, and it, to be fair, I'm I'm 40, so I'm not near retirement yet. I am probably eventually going to get out of my AT&T stock. The reason I keep holding on to it, I want to own Warner Media. I think they have a lot of streaming potential, especially when yeah. combined with Discovery. So after that spinout happens, I'm probably going to keep the this the media side of it and get rid of the AT&T. But if I were 60, not 40, I'd probably feel a lot differently and would be very inclined to hold on to my AT&T. Interesting, interesting. Well, well, absolutely worth uh, keeping in mind there. Let's move over to some of the hardware that is making this all work. And I, I know that you don't really dabble a whole lot in the chip space, but it does feel like chips, the chip companies themselves, are playing a much bigger role today with with this with with this move towards connectivity than ever before. I mean, they, they are they are as relevant as as ever. It feels like. Sure. Well, well, I mean, chips power all the other technologies that are benefiting from 5G. We, we mentioned self-driving cars. We mentioned Internet of Things. We mentioned augmented reality. What, what do you think is inside all of those devices? <laughs> so, I, I don't follow. I follow those spaces a lot. I don't follow the chip makers directly. But what are your favorites in that space? Yeah, you know, I do follow that space a good bit, and and I uh, one thing I think is really neat. Chips historically have had this reputation for being very cyclical, and because they because they were, they still are to an extent. But I also believe, like, I mean, I think this isn't really a unique, a unique thought at this point. But that cyclicality window is really tightening because of the connected nature of everything. I mean, we're just becoming more and more reliant on these on these uh, these chip companies, this technology, which means that that demand seems to be more persistent. So I look at companies like Qualcomm for example, which is, is, I mean, obviously a very big company um, and probably fell off of a lot of investors' radars uh, after sort of the smartphone saturation point from 4G. Would very understandable, uh, but you know, you look at something like a Qualcomm. Qualcomm's foundational to the build out of five G. I mean, some of the company's inventions that form the foundational technology for three G and four G development. Also now serve as foundational tech for 5G. So so all of the work they had done on that 3 and 4G side is serving uh, a role there in building out 5G. And today you've got more than 275 5G devices uh, announced or in development that are actually being built on Qualcomm solutions. Uh, things like their Qualcomm Snapdragon modems. Um, you see, certainly they continue to invest uh, heavily in, in that 5G opportunity because they are so foundational to it. Uh, but then you, you could you could go to the other side of the spectrum there, looking for smaller companies that maybe. Don't quite have that same foundational reputation as a Qualcomm, but but still, you can see the role that they play and the importance in it. A company like Corvo, for example, where I feel like uh, you're going to hear more and more about this technology called ultra wideband. Right, uh, that's a technology that's being utilized more and more in in our smartphones. Ultimately, it's it's radio technology that moves large quantities of data over a wide ranging a scale of frequency bands, but it uses very low power and and it's it specializes in covering short distances. So it it really is great for superior location accuracy. It's good for security. That word you mentioned earlier in the show, latency. 
um, as compared to other short-range technologies. Corvo is a company that has made big investments in that ultra-wideband technology, uh, a big supplier to Apple, of course, given their uh, their lean towards smartphones. But, but those are a couple of the companies I feel like are examples of ways that chip companies are playing. They're finding their they're finding their way in the value chain uh, in regard to to this to this five G rollout, which uh, I, I think that's exciting. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned four G in there because it's worth pointing out to investors that we have a precedent for like the timetable here uh, because this is the you know the five G. It's the fifth generation. So just to kind of give you some dates, four G technology was started to deploy in the U S. in 2008. Um, the first four G phones came in 2010. But the things that really took advantage of the technology didn't come out till years later when the technology was more built out. Do you happen to know what the biggest um, change in 4G in our daily lives, the biggest change 4G caused our daily lives was? I feel like it was, I, I feel like it has something to do with Netflix. <laughs> Very quick videos. Um, video calls, um, being able to call people with video was the biggest probably biggest change to our daily lives, being able to upload videos easily. Yeah. 4G technology is what enabled platforms like Snapchat to grow. And uh, GPS technology is the other big one. Uh, having GPS integrated into your mobile network uh, wasn't really practical on 3G networks, but is on 4G networks. Um, this is what enabled companies like Uber to really, to really rise out of this, which yeah. happened in the 2013 range. So, we just we're just starting to see 5G phones roll out. The point is, and so over in you have like two or three years till you you're really going to start to see how 5G is transforming our daily lives, and it's going to be a long tail deployment. Yeah, um, we've saw this with 4G, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see it play out with some of these technologies. Yeah, it's it definitely sneaks up on you. And let's talk a little bit about those opportunities, kind of getting away from the technology and 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 then talking more about the the, the companies that are utilizing this technology to to solve problems in different ways or figure out new ways of doing things. Um, you and I spent spent uh, uh, many years talking financials on industry focus together, so so that's obviously a space that we know well and enjoy talking about. Payments is a space that is is being impacted. By connectivity, by five G, uh, and, and, and I mean it's something that's going to continue evolve as as connectivity continues to get better. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about payments. I mean, we we like a lot of companies in the payment space, but but what are some of the companies you see utilizing technology and in, in connectivity in particular to make their businesses better? Well, I see the banks that rely heavily on the internet to do business. So th- there are obvious. You know, internet-only banks. Access Financial is one that e- immediately comes to mind. Right. That right now, the, their ability to serve customers is somewhat limited by their by the connectivity. You know, they can't they can't do things like like real time client interaction very well. They can't. They're not set up to do things like immediate money transfers, like in the way that traditional banks are. That have you know hardwired infrastructure. You can just walk into a branch, things like that. So banks that really he- lean heavily on their internet infrastructure, and then payment processing companies. Right now, Visa's network can handle about—I want to say it was about sixty-five thousand transactions per second, um, which sounds like a lot. But when you're processing trillions of dollars of payments, um, <laughs> that can be a limiting factor as the world goes increasingly cashless. Yeah. So improving the technology there, that and I mentioned the latency advantage of of five G, meaning that the connectivity is just instant almost. 
that's a big advantage to payment networks to get things done quickly. Um, so the, I, I'd say payment processors and financial institutions that really lean heavily on their ability to serve customers over the internet. Yeah, and you know, one of the questions I get from folks all the time um, in regard to payments, because when I you talk about payments in five G, and they sort of have a little bit of a difficult time connecting the dots, which is very understandable. But when you think about how the 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 money, we think about how money works, how money moves from point A to point B. Obviously, there are a lot of parties involved in that value chain. Um, the one thing I think the way I look at it in simplest terms is we live in a world, as you mentioned, where Digital payments are only growing, right? More and more people are relying on digital payments to move money every day, multiple times per day. And so I basically like I look at it essentially as like a road system, right? I mean, you've built this road system that's that's built to accommodate a certain level of traffic. At some point, growth starts to clog that road system, right? You start to run into more and more traffic jams because you have more cars going through that system. So, what do you do? You expand your road system. You make it bigger. And I think that's probably the easiest way to look at the payments space here when it comes to 5G is you're just having more demand of that bandwidth, right? You're having more people using those roads now, and that's going to continue to grow. So, they have to widen those roads. They have to introduce additional capacity and the speed that comes with that capacity. And so, I think that's probably the simplest way to look at how the payments industry can benefit from 5G, but it's also on the back end too, right? I mean, security is something that continues to be an issue, fraud, particularly. I mean, look, the, the FTC disclosed recently consumers lost more than $3.3 billion to fraud in 2020. That was up from $1.8 billion in 2019. So, I mean, fraud is a is a big concern for these issuers, for these banks. They're utilizing technology to find new ways to combat it. Yeah, I, I like that angle. Um, no, there's definitely a, a lot of payment applications, and it's worth mentioning that a lot of there are so many 5G adjacent investments out there. Yeah, I can make if you if you name a random financial stock right now, <laughs> I can make the case where 5G technology could help could transform their business. I, I agree. I, I I totally agree. I can too. I mean, it, it is. It just takes. It, it takes thinking a little bit outside the box sometimes. But really, you can see more and more how technology is. It's changing the face of everything from from how we eat to how we bank to how we sleep to how we <laughs> drink our coffee and smoke our ribs. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. uh, Matt, are you much of a gamer? Uh, not really. A little bit. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, back in the day, I mean, I'm a bit more of an old school guy. I really enjoyed Miss Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, things like that. I'm not really a part of the gaming crowd today, but nevertheless, 5G is is having a profound impact on the gaming market. Right? Um, more and more uh, folks are are obviously playing games uh, via connecting to the internet and streaming versus loading a physical game into a console. Uh, cloud gaming becoming a bigger and bigger market opportunity. We have seen some real uh, consolidation here just over the past couple of weeks. A couple of big uh, deals announced in the gaming space that I think is really playing into more of this cloud gaming, cloud gaming, and connected gaming idea. Yeah, I, I know gaming is a massive, massive opportunity right now, and that's a space that has evolved dramatically. Over the past few years, um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you think of just the technology that that you know, the immersive technology, I guess you'd say, and five G is really a play on. It, it's essential for a truly immersive experience, I guess you'd say. 
Yeah. I mentioned the, the lower latency is is I, I hate to keep harping on it, but it's really the is really the game changing technology. Right now, our our current streaming technology is enough to stream pretty much whatever you want to stream. But it's the it's the latency factor that kind of makes the it a less immersive experience than it could be. Yeah. Um, so I, I see a lot of opportunities to continue to improve and and grow and and new technologies to really take hold over the next few years. Yeah, I mean you're seeing you're seeing companies like Nvidia, which has obviously been been known historically for its its specialization in graphic uh, processing units, GPUs, right? But I mean they're they're basically building out a platform business now. They have a cloud gaming segment, a cloud gaming division of the business. Uh, Microsoft, massive uh, headline, massive headline here just a couple of weeks ago. Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard. Um, in order to really uh, stake their claim in this gaming market, and then not to be outdone, just the other day we see the headline: Sony will be acquiring Bungie for a little bit more than three billion dollars to sort of up the ante, so to speak. Right? I mean, when you look at the the top gaming companies in the world, I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna have Tencent, I believe, right? You're gonna have Sony, and you're gonna have Microsoft, uh, assuming the Activision Blizzard deal goes through. I mean, those are gonna be Three very large gaming behemoths that are utilizing this connected wireless technology really to deliver the goods, um, which then just goes to show you how critical it's going to be because hundreds of millions of folks are playing these games uh, every day and every month. Uh, this is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity in this space, and and and, uh, and certainly five G is a is a technology that's going that's going to make it better. Uh, Matt, before we wrap up this week. Whenever we talk about investing, it's it's easy to to just sort of skate over the topic of allocation, but it is really important to discuss, right? I mean, the better the better you are allocated, the, the better you are diversified in your portfolio, the easier the long term investing journey is. And this this clearly is a long term trend, right? I mean, this is something that is not like we said, it's not like flipping a switch. I mean, it's something that's going to play out over many years. How do you view investing in the five G opportunity? This is something where I mean, how much? How much would you say an investor can can allocate from their overall portfolio, or do you look at it a little bit differently? Well, the the way I look at it is that five G is such a broad range of investment opportunities that you could create a fully diverse portfolio just from five G opportunities. Yeah. I mentioned we mentioned real estate investment trusts like Crown Castle and American Tower. You mentioned the the big tech companies like Microsoft. We mentioned self-driving vehicle technology. You mentioned virtual reality and augmented reality. So, if you ask how much you can allocate, I would say if you're just looking at 5G growth plays, like the gaming industry, like self-driving cars, I'd say you know 10 to 20 percent of a portfolio is a good good maximum. But if you really broaden it out to infrastructure companies, we didn't even mention data center companies that could be big beneficiaries. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, it's possible to create a very diverse allocation. Of income stocks, growth stocks, value stocks, you know things like that, and um, so I, I wouldn't. I, I hesitate to put an overall limit on it, um, just because of how broad five G technology is. How about you? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think if you're looking, if you could take all of the all of the companies that we mentioned in today's show and probably form a very nicely diversified portfolio just from those names, because we talked about some growth ideas, some stable income plays, and everything in between. Generally speaking, yeah, I think if if you're looking more towards the high flyer type 
growth style 5G investment where you're willing to take a little bit more risk. Uh, you know, I mean, an investor could look at, depending on their their stage of of life, right? Depending on whether they're growing their wealth or protecting their wealth. I mean, I could you could see anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of someone's overall portfolio being dedicated towards those specific type 5G names. But by the same token, like you said, I think you could build you can connect virtually everything is connected today, right? Technology is is just it's it's essentially the air that we breathe. So uh, you you could absolutely, I think, build out a very nicely diversified portfolio, uh, all focused on this theme of five G connectivity and, and ultimately six G and beyond, because a lot of these companies are playing that similar role as this technology develops. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think you could absolutely develop a nicely diversified portfolio just focusing on on this technology. Um, and I think we've covered a lot of a lot of good names this week uh, that that speak to that. And so, Matt, uh, I think uh, we're about out of time, but I want to thank you for uh, digging into this space, digging into these companies, and uh, and and talking five G investing with me today. Of course, Jason, I could talk stocks with you for an hour. That's all for today, but coming up this week, we've got a lot more in store, including the latest with real estate, company takeovers, and the business of the Super Bowl. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.